Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Carol Potter. She is best known, and you guys of my generation, she is best known as her work as Cindy Walsh on the show Beverly Hills 90210. And I just think she's great. I think she's great. We had such an awesome chat. So she's been a working actress for close to 40 years. And like I said, we know her from 90210. But in 2001, she also became a licensed marriage and family therapist, which is so cool as well, because we we talked about that. And she has a new book out. And we'll talk about that as well. So, you know, this is just one of those interviews that was fun and, and lighthearted. And also she had a couple of really amazing tidbits. And I want everyone who is a parent or has been a child <laughs> to listen to this episode. Because I think there's some really great information in here. And you don't want to miss out because you never know when you're going to need this info. So. Everyone enjoy this episode with Carol Potter. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the same 24 hours podcast. I feel a little out of practice. I haven't recorded in a couple of weeks. So, you know, it's amazing how quick you lose it. <laughs> oh my goodness. So today's guest is Carol Potter. You might recognize her from a show 90210. Cue the music. I don't remember it, <laughs> but welcome, Carol. Thanks for da, joining. Da, da. That's it. (laughs) How are you? I'm just great. Um, I don't know. I was just spent a few days in the country last weekend. So that was like so refreshing and spend a lot of time in nature. And I've been in my house for a year and a half. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Well, I have a lovely backyard. I am in the middle of Los Angeles, so it's not exactly nature. Right. Uh, So yeah. Wow. It's just felt great to, to just get out of the traffic and the noise and the, and be out walking on the dunes and in among lots of trees. And so I feel like totally refreshed and revived. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, so you played the character Cindy Walsh on Beverly Hills 90210, the mom that we all maybe wanted. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting because I got two kinds of of fan letters. One of the, one kind was, I wish my mom were more like you. And the other was, my mom is just like you. So that was very encouraging, actually, to know that there were so many moms out there that um, their kids really love and admire and feel good about, you know? 
Yeah. Well, I had a great mom. I just feel like she was like, I wanted, I wanted Brenda's mom because I felt like she was a little more relaxed and a little less strict. <laughs> well, <that> was, <laughs> so maybe that was uh, it. They weren't actually my children. <laughs> right, right. Well, let's rewind back to when the show started. How did you get that role? What interests you in it? I know you've been acting for 40 years. So, you know, it's, but well, that's your, had, you is know, that your biggest and most, that's what you're best known for though, that right? Definitely my best known. Um, you know, I've done some stage work um, that I feel very proud of, but, um, you know, they're just not as many people get to see it. Yeah. Uh, so this, and you know, it's, it's kind of an honor to be sort of an icon for a generation. Right. I was at a, I was at a, um, a, a workshop of sort of a weekend retreat, a week long retreat. Um, can't remember where we were, but one of the young men had been kind of looking at me. Who is this woman? <laughs> So we're, we were a small group of us were outside and somebody happened to mention 90210 and his face just exploded because he says, oh, my God, you were my mother during right. high school. And, you know, so that is I mean, it's a, it's really a great honor to 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 be a surrogate for um, for a, for a generation. Anyway, my mother used to call me the Donna Reed of the 90s. Right. Oh, that's a good one. I love Donna Reed too. Wait, what was that the name of that wasn't the name of the show that was it the Donna Reed show? I think it was the Donna Reed show. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I would, I, I had uh, come to LA. Um, she almost eight, nine years before and with a, with a TV show and, um, just ended up, you know, you're, you're really starting over. They don't care in what you did in New York. They just couldn't care less. Um, so it had been a long and sort of painful, painful process. And I was at a, a place in my life at the point, at that time I was a single mom, I had a little baby. I didn't know what was gonna happen next. And I, and I certain, you know, every time I auditioned for this show, I was convinced I didn't get it. I was convinced I would never work again and I would, you know, just dissolve in solves on my bed. And so getting it was, felt like a miracle. And um, I just turned a whole bunch of things around. So yeah, I went through the process of, you know, auditioning, I don't know, two or three times, first wow. for the casting director, then the producer. I did an audition for, you know, a bunch of the Aaron Spelling team and, um, so yeah, it's always nerve wracking. Yeah. It's always nerve wracking. You know, I think that's why, you know, actors really yearn and long to get to the place where they don't have to audition. <laughs> right. I imagine but so. It's so stressful. Um, but the, the, you know, the thing is sometimes even when you're in that level at that level where you're getting offered things sometimes you need to go out on a limb and say let me read for this because you're not thinking of me this way and I want to show you that I can do it so but right. I never really got to that level so 
It's all fantasy in my mind. The only thing I can even remotely compare any of it to is I did a little tiny bit of theater for just a little bit when I was a baby lawyer. I thought it would be fun to do some theater Mm -hmm. and I would try out for a role like, you know, the lead girl. And then they would cast me for like, for example, in Steel Magnolias. I got cast as a Nell and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want to be a Nell. And then I loved being a Nell because she's like the funny one. And, um, but I loved doing theater and I keep asking myself, why am I not seeking out doing theater? Cause it's so much fun. And is that your experience? Like theater is just theater. Theater theater is what uh, hooked me on this whole career. I I mean, I I had no thought about being on television much less films. And I just love theater because you form a real little family when you're doing a play, which is different from television. You know, television, you're not all working together all the time. You know, mm-hmm. there yeah. were, you know, there's scores and scores of people who came on and did parts on 902. And I never saw them because we weren't in the same scenes. You know, I was at home being the mom or, it's, you know, <laughs> You're like, why am I always in this house? Maybe I get to go to the peach pit sometimes. (laughs) Well, it's true. You know, I'm pouring coffee. I'm making dinner. (laughs) It was parallel for life. When they had these parties and everybody was at the house. I mean, it often happened around holidays. Those were the most fun episodes to shoot because I really got to see everybody and (laughs) hang out. And, you know, it's a great it was a great crew of people, you know, just people were funny and lighthearted. And so. So what are some of your favorite memories? I know you probably get asked that all the time, but I feel like that's just a question that has to be asked. Like, what are some of your fondest memories of, of 90210? Oh my Lord. Well, you know, I came back, I'd say I did a wonderful episode in the first season where I was, you know, wooed by a former boyfriend and did, is Cindy going to have an affair, right? (laughs) Is somebody other than Jim? Um, But I came to my senses. So that was, that was a thrilling uh, piece of work to do. And when I actually, after I left, I came back for a guest spot and um, got to do a wonderful scene with Jason. And it was kind of, we realized we'd never done a one-on-one scene before. And he was directing the episode and he was a wonderful director. So that was a lot of fun. And I have to say, I think my favorite day of shooting ever was playing myself on the reboot. I was up in Vancouver for two days. This scene, we shot it from, I don't know, 10 in the morning to four in the afternoon. We're all just sitting around. It was a, a pseudo therapy session. So it was a blast and everybody was so grounded, you know, I mean, they'd all grown up and, and <laughs> you weren't mothering just, them anymore. <laughs> I wasn't going to be their mother anymore. And it was just delightful to hang out with them. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm so grateful for that experience because it was, it felt like, okay, now I get to see who they've become. Yeah. I mean, the sad piece was of course that Luke had oh. died. And um, I didn't get to see the man he become, but I knew the man he was during the show and he was quite, uh, quite a mensch. Well, I cut my hair about a month ago. And so I did my best like 902 and I was like, well, maybe I'll just do the boy's hair. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, the, you know, I think the last season I was on, I had short hair. Right. Oh my so, gosh. Very similar as a matter of fact. Well, but how yeah, did you know that you wanted to act? I, you know, when I was five years old, when people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I always said I wanted to be an actress. Mm -hmm. And they would say, you, you like Marilyn Monroe. And I'd say, no, a smart actress. That's funny. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I was the Kate Jackson. <laughs> right. You're like, no, Cindy oh, Walsh. Charlie Who's Day. that? You'll see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, you know, and, and I, I think back on that. And I mean, we didn't have a television at that point. Right. Had I ever gone to the theater? What did I know about acting? That's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, as I grew up, I didn't come from a family that had any background in, in show business, but I was, you know, I always took the opportunities in school, whether it was a talent show or a play, I really, I always enjoyed it. And I, I continued doing that in college, but I was, at that point, I was, I'll be a therapist. I was studying psychology and, and then I, I went to college at a very tumultuous time. It was the time of the protests against the Vietnam War. I mean, the draft dodging and burning draft cards and the rise of the, this wave of feminism. Um, and so I, I got out of college and it was like, we'd been on a, got on a train freshman year and it just ran off the tracks and everybody felt kind of, oh my God, lost, what's next? And um, yeah. I, I had some friends who were doing a little theater company in New Haven for the summer. And I said, oh, well, I might as well try this thing out. I mean, I've always wanted to do it. Maybe I should just see where it takes me. And that was, <laughs> you know, what was it? Um, 20 years later, there I am on 90210. Isn't it funny that you can look back and point to those moments where you said, ah, I guess I'll just go. I guess I'll just try it. This I'll just thing and then it's hard right. Yeah. There you go. Like new path you in life. Like that's where you became a different possible human. Then yeah, amazing. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you have that, we all know that the road less traveled, the, the right. cross poem, uh, the road not taken is the name of the poem. Um, and yeah, you, you make these choices. You have no idea what they're going to lead to, but one thing leads to another and, you know, and then boom, I found myself in Los Angeles, which was never part of my plan. <laughs> right. Are it's you the type of, the, oh, go ahead. Yeah, it was still one of the biggest surprises of my life that I, <laughs> I live in. What do I well, sure. I guess so. I guess so. are you the type of person that can make a choice like if you have the if you're at the crossroads can do you struggle to move are you some are you risk averse where you're like oh I'll just go try that or was that a big deal to to just I mean you say I just tried it but did you have any well, reservations I'd have to say I, I have tended to be risk averse although I'm learning in my later years to just go just jump just mm. go for it and see what happens. That's, that's, that's how I ended up being an author. I just, I just took a leap. Um, but I'd say at the time, it, it was much more fraught than that. I mean, on the one hand, it, it, it was that experience of, well, I got to do something. And this is the only thing I can think of doing right now. 
if I wanted to go into psychology, I would have needed graduate school. And I just yeah. could, could not wrap my head around graduate school applications. I was like, ah, <laughs> um, I needed to sort of sit with myself a little bit. And then, uh, mm. so this summer that I did this theater company, it was kind of a disaster. Um, there was all sorts of, uh, I had a roommate who ended up in a mental institution. He had a nervous breakdown. Um, there was all sorts of, you know, a lot of massage therapy, <laughs> what that inevitably leads to. <laughs> I mean, what? Was, wait a minute, what do you mean? One of these insane sort of, um, you know, very typical late 60s, early 70s kind of ideas about freedom. Right? Oh my gosh. Okay. Got and, it. So it's a pretty, it was a pretty wild summer and also a, a, a real disaster. We had two um, artistic directors. One had left to, to go to Europe with his wife. Uh, he ended up having a very fruitful career as a um, director in television and film and um, stage. And the other rap was descending into alcohol. <laughs> so I get out of this thing and I'm thinking, boy, if I still want to do this acting thing after a summer like that, I must really want to do it. So I, you know, I did, I just, it was like, okay, what next? One foot in front of the other, opportunities show up. And, you know, I didn't always make the best of my opportunities, but I did make something of them. And, you know, as I say, one thing leads to another, and then you, you find yourself in Los Angeles sort of wondering what happened. <laughs> I feel that way all the time. I feel especially the last couple of years because we moved. Um, we've moved three times. We moved from Georgia to Kansas to Massachusetts back to Georgia, and I'll have these moments where, just for a split second, I'll I'll think, "Where am I? Where am I? <laughs> and how did I get here? And and it's just like this crazy roller coaster that of life. Yeah. And you know, that's a good example of just saying, "Okay, I guess we'll go do this thing." Um, but you, at some point you pivoted out of acting and you went back into psychology to what, 20 years ago. How did that happen? Uh, yeah. About 20 years ago. I mean, it was right after I left 90210. I was working with a, a woman who's a, was a dear friend and she was operating as my manager and she was calling people all over the place. She said, you know, people know who you are, but they think you're just lucky. They don't know what you can do because, yeah. you know, the, the, after the first season, the parents were really sidelined. And at the same time, I'd gotten involved in this ministry at my church where um, we got really good training and listening skills. And we were being supervised by um, licensed therapists. Almost. I mean, I was almost having an hour of supervision for each hour I sat with somebody and mm -hmm. it was very time limited and the people were screened because they, you know, they, they just people who just needed to sit with somebody and talk about what was going on in their lives, just hit a little sure. snag and they need a little support. And I just loved it. And that had been my first thought of a career. And it seemed pretty evident that I wasn't going to go from one well-paying job to another well-paying job. And I, I, I was the breadwinner for my family. So I said, well, let me, let me 
go do this other thing. And gosh, I'm, I'm so glad that I did for so many reasons, but for one thing, you know, becoming a therapist is a much saner um, career path. You know, acting is like you can be making a million dollars, you know, one one week and then, you know, three months later, nobody even wants to hire you. Right. <laughs> right. And you go feast and famine and anything can derail can derail a career. It's so um, it's so out of your control for most right. of us. Right. And this was you put the time in, you reap the benefits. You put the time in, you, you get so much per hour, you, it, you're, how much you make is completely commensurate with how much time you put in. Whereas acting, I mean, I could do a commercial for half a day and make tens of thousands of dollars and do a play that'll take over my life for two months and make <laughs> nothing. <laughs> right. But of course, I love doing the work. Sure. But, um, I actually love doing the therapy work too. And it's funny because I was kind of semi-retired. I gave up my office in 2018 and I just had a couple of clients who still, you know, we met online and, and over the past year, people have come back. <laughs> and so you're back in it. Yeah. Sort of like, how do I get all these clients? And they're, <laughs> they're all, you know, people that I've worked with before. Cause I'm not, I'm not working with new clients, but I'm also starting to feel like, yeah, I'm, I think, you know, things will quiet down again as, as, as people feel better and as things get back to normal as. Right. Let's knock on some ever get back to, I don't even know what normal is anymore. No, no. And, and yeah, yeah, we'll just leave it, (laughs) leave it at that. I was just talking to I was just talking to my husband about it because I had a bit of a temper tantrum earlier today. He came in and he said, how are you doing? I was like, I don't know. I'm just mad. And he said, why are you mad? And I said, I just don't think I processed the fact that 20, uh, 2020 like took away my book tour and I like just moved on and now I'm mad. <laughs> I said like now that know, we've dealt with the pandemic and the real problem, like now I'm back to that mad at that really not so big problem. And I don't know what to do with my life. And, but this is like a classic Meredith crisis. Like I'm always like, what am I doing with my life? And which is kind of hilarious because I, I have education. I have books. Like, I mean, with your life I'm doing like- lots of things with my life. Just like currently right now though, it's like, oh, what am I going to do? But it's just funny. I mean, when you say return back to normal, like to me, I'm like, oh, what is that? Right? Exactly. What yeah. is normal? Well, and now with this Delta variant, everything's sort of being tossed up again. I know. My kids went to school first time. Well, we're in Georgia, so they go back early and, you know, back in mass. They are 12 and 13. My favorite age. I say that every time I do a podcast, like they're at my favorite age, but I think I just like developing humans. Like I struggled with babies because I was like, what is it you need? (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) tell me. And so I find them very interesting. Um, fascinating, you know, it's like they have opinions about everything and they, you know, they just, I I love them more every year. Yes. Well, that's fascinating because my, my sense is that, you know, when I think about why both me and my two brothers had kids, um, 
and why there seemed to be, I mean, it wasn't just that we had them. It wasn't accidental. We all really wanted to have kids. And right. I think it was because, because of our relationship with our parents, it was a way to, to have some interesting people in your life, <laughs> right? Some new, interesting people. And, I'm tired um, of these people I hang out with. Let's make some new ones. <laughs> let's make some new ones. I have a grandchild coming. Oh. So that's very exciting. He's coming in September. All things going accordingly. Yeah. Um, so that I'm very excited about oh, that new, new stage of life. But he, you know, they live in Seattle. So that means I'm going to be traveling a bit more. Than- yes, you will all the time. Yeah. So that's the rumor on the street with grandkids. Every three months for sure. That's right. That's and, right. No, it's um, funny when we, we purposely had kids too, but I remember when we were talking about having kids, I just thought about babies. Like I never thought beyond like a three month old some people. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, we have to daycare and money. And it's just, it's a fascinating process. Parenting. It is fascinating. I mean, and I love Dr. Shafali because she always talks about like, you're not raising these kids. You're just a guide. You're here to guide them that they have their own beings and their own spirits. And I mean, that was the biggest gift to hear that because I think for a while I was under the false assumption that I was raising them when they're actually raising me. Right. You were responsible for them. Right. The right. prophet talks about that too, the yes. book, right? They're only on loan. They're just passing through our lives. Right. And, you know, because I only had one, I'm so excited to have a grandchild because now I'll get to see that whole process again. And you're right. It's fascinating. Having my son was one of the, is, is, was the start of an amazing adventure and a fabulous relationship. I mean, I probably feel prouder of that relationship than any other relationship I've ever had and it's because there was a way in which I could form at least my inner side of the interaction um, from scratch he he didn't relate it to anybody else before (laughs) (laughs) that was the first so funny so how what was the challenge for you in being a therapist well I guess so how old your son He's uh, 34. Okay. So you had a teenager when you were. No, I had a, I had a, like, he was like from maybe. I don't do math. Eight, <laughs> three to eight. He was a little kid. So oh, much okay. younger than the kids on the show, uh, much younger, even than their counterparts, right? Their characters. Right. Um, um, so he, he's completely out of that cohort, which is good, I think. Um, yeah. It, but he, um, and he would always, I'd come, I mean, the hardest part actually was the fact that I couldn't tell him when I was going to be home. Mm. I, right. I'll do my best to be home, but I can't promise I'll be home before you go to bed or whatever, because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to be very careful about that. He was always delightfully eager to see me, <laughs> and, but he would never kiss me until I had taken all my makeup off. <laughs> That's funny. Oh he gosh. Not like that, you know, makeup. <laughs> so being a therapist for the last 20 years, what 
I, I guess my, my listenership, they're probably 35 to, I would say 55 is probably the main demographic. So, you know, right. parenting, young kids, parenting, teenagers, parenting, ready to launchers. What is something that you think maybe we as parents have been getting it wrong? Like an assumption in society that's out there that, that, you know, to be tr- not true or just well, some insight. I, I- say the biggest thing I I would urge parents to question is this whole um, kind of achievement discourse Mm. that you have to get your kids in all the advanced toddler classes so they can get (laughs) into the best preschool, right? Mm -hmm. That is a recipe for anxiety. Um, What is the, what are the pressures you're putting on their, your kids to be something, to fulfill some idea that our culture has about how a person's supposed to be. And, you know, I think the most important sort of tool of of parenthood is listening and really listening to your kids, trusting that they know themselves better than you Mm -hmm. do. We think we know them. I mean, I used to tell my son this all the time. I said, Christopher, I just figured out where you were yesterday. You're already somewhere new. You have to keep me in touch with where you're going and what's going on with you. And he's, he's really been great about that, frankly, because I think because I trust his, his perspective on things. And so he's willing to come to me when he's confused or not sure about something because he knows I won't just try to talk him into something. I'm going to be talking to him through my understanding of what I've learned about him. Um, For instance, when he went off to um, college, he had a rough freshman year and um, he said, oh, I'm having a hard time making friends and stuff. He's, He's quite an introvert. And he, I said, well, okay, well, how long did it take you to be comfortable in high school? And he said, oh, senior year. (laughs) Yeah, I said, that's the way you operate. You take time to get comfortable places. So you just need to, you know, get off your own back, right? Just give yourself a break and realize that, you know, this is just how you operate. And it's interesting because he was, he went to Santa Cruz and he was up there for, he um, switched his major, so he had to, so it took him five years for the degree, and then another year he, he got a job and was hanging out there, and it was like, it was the first time he really felt, okay, I really feel solid in this place. I feel comfortable here. I feel like I've dug in and created a foundation for myself, and I feel like I can take that foundation anywhere, and then he was ready to jump. He could have gone to Europe. He ended up going to Chicago for a master's program, but he was ready to go wherever life took him next. And that was because he allowed himself that time and space to just stay where he was until he really felt grounded there. And I was able to be helpful because I could see that pattern in him and I could, you know, connect with him about it. But I think you raised such a good point that trusting the kids that they know who they are. I don't, that is a light bulb moment. I mean, I, I feel that way about my kids. I'm like, ah, oh, you, 
you know, I, I feel that way. I felt that with every, when you said it, I was like, yes, I, my kids do know who they are more than I do. Um, but I feel like that's a light bulb moment because yeah. you really have to let go of expectations of your past, like how you were raised of, of societal expectations of school expectations. I mean, there you got to just let go. And I always say, you know, I'm, my daughter's really big into CrossFit and she's very talented and I keep, and I'm so excited for her. She loves it. It's her thing. I happen to have some background in it, but it's hers. And I say, I just hold it loosely. And I'd say that all the time because I have to remind myself because I want to grab it and I want to, you know, and I'm like, just hold it loosely. It's hers. It's not yours. You had your chance to be a weightlifter. This is hers. But yeah. it's a constant reminding to hold them loosely. Like they're not ours. They're just here. <laughs> they're who they are. And, yeah. and, the, and over the long term, the only influence we have, the, the only power we have is whatever influence we're able to maintain. And the, mm. we only have influence if we've established a strong relationship. Ooh, that is really good. The only power we have is what's, can you say that again? Or was that just a brilliant only thing? The power we have is our influence and our influence is directly related to the strength of our relationship. And that strength comes out of listening, taking in, reflecting back what you're hearing. Now, you know, if you'd talked to me when he was in high school, I'm sure I would have said a lot of other things. <laughs> right. And that's what people tell me. They're like, you have a 12 and 13 year old, get back to me in four years. Yeah. Um, and true, but I, you know, I can speak to, to what I know. And my kid, my daughter is the youngest and they're only 14 months apart, but she always says, am I your favorite? And I said, you're my favorite girl. Because she's my girl and she goes, I'm your favorite. And I said, my favorite is whichever one is not asking me which one is our, my favorite. Um, but my son will walk in the room when she's doing that. And he'll say, well, dad's my favorite. And I'll say, well, thanks a lot. And he goes, but you're like my therapist. So it's different. Dad's like my dad and you're like my therapist. And I said, well, I guess I'm doing something right. Cause yeah. It means I listen, right? Right. That's yes, yes. Like yes. My therapist. You okay. maybe you're the one he talks to. Yes, true. Right. But it's just funny. I mean, that's what I mean when I say I love parenting this age, because that is just hilarious. <laughs> it is. And and um I you know, I do think every stage has its blessings and its curses. Yes. Um, and I'm I am so excited to walk through this process again, you know, yeah. I it, you know, who knows how long, how much time I'll have with my grandson. I'm not going to see him turn 40. That's for sure. You never know. Never say I never. Turned, oh, I was over 30 when my grandmother died and, you know, maybe I'll make it that far, but I don't know, but I intend to enjoy every moment uh, that I do have. Well, let's talk about your book. Well, how did you take that leap? Well, this is so interesting because this fellow, Frank Cilio, he wrote the book with me, um, or I should say, I wrote the book with him. He has written a dozen children's books, and one of them was called A World of Pausibilities. And he happened to notice, I guess he knew Jason. So he knew that I'd become a therapist, and he was a big fan of the show. And of course, he didn't tell me any of this until much later. 
But um, he saw that I was interested in mindfulness practice. I've been a meditator since the 70s. Wow. And he said, would you write a blurb for my book? I said, oh, sure, send me the book. And it was charming, delightful, beautifully written. I loved the illustrations. And so I wrote a little blurb and then he and his husband came into town and invited me to breakfast at the Polo Lounge. So, you know, oh, I can't say no to that. Right. And so we're sitting having breakfast and he's talking about he's written all these children's books and he's got all of these um, uh, children who are his, his patients. And, um, and he really does a lot of parenting workshops and, and I helped co-created the parenting program at the counseling center where I got a lot of my training. And so I've done a lot of parenting work as well. And he was saying, oh, I just, you know, I, I'd love to write a parenting book, but everyone says, oh, you don't have kids. So you can't write a parenting book. And oh gosh, so I, so I walk out of there and I think, well, I'm a parent. <laughs> and I played one on television, which is- And I played one on television. <laughs> I'm a double parent. I'm a special a kind of parent. parent. <laughs> Which is probably more important, frankly, in terms of getting a book published. True. So I thought, that's crazy. What a cra I didn't know this guy from Adam, right? Yeah. And a, a, week, a day, I said, okay, let me sit on it for a day. A day later, I just sent him an email. I said, what, is it a crazy idea to think that we could write a book together? And I, I, he jumped on it so fast. I thought he'd incepted me, you know, like in that... <laughs> like that film but right. actually what happened is he had the same idea at the same time mm. but he, I can't ask Carol Potter to write a book with me so we started tossing about ideas and um when he talked with his um contacts in publishing he, all of his children's books have been written for the American Psychological Association who published this book so those were the people he went to and they weren't interested in a generic parenting book um, so we had, he said, you know what, I'd really like to, a lot of his kids have various chronic illnesses of one kind or another. And he said, I'd really like to write a, a book about that. I know that might not interest you. I said, I am, I am signed on for the ride. I don't care what the topic is. I, lo I love talking about parenting issues. And as a marriage and family therapist, which is built on a systemic understanding of the family, um, I've done a lot of I've a lot of expertise working with couples, so I felt I had a whole dimension that I could bring to the book um, that would be outside his you know background, and so we uh, wrote a chapter together. We we um, did work with assistants who did a lot of who highlighted articles for us, and but we really researched the literature on. Um, all aspects of having a child with any kind of chronic illness and um, put together a proposal, um, wrote one of the chapters. I mean, he already had it because of his clientele. He already had this sort of structure in his mind and the APA accepted our bit. Um, I think that was, I wanna say 2018. We spent a lot of 20 and we started working I want to say in August of 2018, we submitted the manuscript. Took about a year. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. The forever process in the fall of 2019, and in March, literally, that right when the pandemic was starting, they 
came back with a development editor and a complete restructuring of the book. So for the next, I don't know, three, four, maybe it was five months, I was like madly rewriting everything and, re and reorganizing it and everything. So the two of us are sort of bouncing back and forth to each other. But it, it has been a, a wonderful process from the, the teams that we've worked with. Um, working with Frank has been, I mean, I think both of us are sort of shocked at how well we worked together. Um, he's a little more, um, um, what do you call it, um, type A. So he gets a little more, I'm, I'm a little more laid back. So I- Are you? I don't, I feel like you're a little A. Are you a B plus? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always gotten A's, but um, I, I, you know, it's interesting because I certainly do have that aspect. I mean, I get, I, I get stressed out. There's no yeah. question. Um, but perhaps because of my meditation practice and my mm. spiritual path i'm constantly working against it well tell everyone the title of the book because anyone that's like listening isn't going to see the book so the title of your oh, the book. title of the book yeah. is when your child has a chronic medical illness a guide for the parenting journey and it's uh published by the um american psychological association it's their life it's their um their life, I can't remember, life imprint. It's, 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 mm -hmm. their, it's their imprint that are sort of um, self-help books for the, yeah. for the public, not uh, most of their books are for other therapists. But right, this right. Is for um, the public. And I mean, we're just hoping it will, it, you talk about the stress of being a parent in this culture and then you add a chronic illness. Yes. And it's just an ex another a, a, an exponential level of of stress and responsibility and mazes that you have to make your way through. So what we're hoping is that you know parents will find this a lot of information in here, um, they, so that we can sort of help them cut the learning curve mm -hmm. about you know working with doctors, working with schools, things like IEPs. Um, getting financial help from the public sector, um, dealing with insurance companies. I mean, all of the, the things that we know are stressful, even when you don't have a chronic illness in right. the picture, right? So it's been a, it was just such a pleasure um, to write this thing and a, a completely unexpected and, uh, and yet a kind of a dream fantasy I've always had to write a book yes yay <laughs> a book. It's very now exciting. so would this book be helpful for like school counselors to read for friends of people with children with chronic illnesses absolutely Church? i mean yeah. what we're really hoping is a lot of um healthcare workers will at least be familiar with the book especially pediatricians to refer to let them know people so that they so that they're not just walking around blind i mean mm. um for instance uh when your child has been for instance we we think of palliative care as being something that or uh, that that adults access after they've exhausted all the possibilities for cure and then they get to have palliative care well that's not true for children 
um, for children, whatever the any kind of potentially life threatening diagnosis, the family can have an immediate um, consult with a pediatric care team, and they can help with difficult uh, symptoms, whether that's nausea and vomiting or um, you know, maybe neurological symptoms associated with treatments. And it's meant to go hand in hand with curative treatment. Wow. Right? All the yeah. way. Through. But most, most doctors don't know this. Sure. And certainly most parents don't know this until they get involved in the medical system. So there's things like that. And we, and we, we try to demystify, I mean, the number of specialists they are. So we talk about the different kinds of specialties. Um, and we also, you know, this was one of my big contributions is if you're in a, a partnered relationship, this can cause a lot of strain on that partnership. And how do you find ways to, to make that connection strong and secure so that the family um, can go through this process and still enjoy a, a good family life. And then there's siblings, right? Siblings right. often get left out when, when one kid, you know how it is. If one kid's getting more attention, the other kid, there's no, <laughs> You're right? my, am I your favorite? <laughs> Don't do anything to get your attention, which is right. can be problematic. So, um, so it, it has lots of thoughts and ideas for how to, how to keep the family from getting completely taken over by whatever the illness is. And this is, you know, it's anything from asthma to cystic fibrosis, you know, simple things that, you know, um, you know, maybe you just learned to live with to things that really require a lot of medical interventions. I mean, the good news is that so many of these illnesses were once fatal and they're not fatal anymore. And that's, that's wonderful news. The problem is all of the caretaking is now fallen on the family. Right. It's not being done by medical professionals anymore. And that's, it can be a huge, huge burden, especially if there are, um, you know, regular daily medical treatments that have to be done, or if sure. the child needs help with everyday activities on a regular basis um, through side effects of the illness or, or of the treatment, right? So that, wow. so it, it's, it was a, a pleasure to write. And um, I just, we've gotten some very good response from people um, who uh, are in this area, in the medical field and um, knowledgeable about parents and parenting and, and children with these kinds of issues. So we're very proud of it and pleased. And we just are looking to um, make sure it gets to a wide audience yeah. so that so that people have access to a little more information. Well, and that's why I love doing this podcast and interviews that are, I mean, this feels it's big. Like we started with 90210, but then it's narrow. And I love that because people will listen to this and then they will encounter someone in their, in their life or their family. And they'll go, what is that podcast that merited? Oh yeah. With the 90210 lady. Oh, and you know, and that's yeah. how, how you help people. And that's one of the things that I'm so proud about this podcast, because it has that that little tidbit to it that, yeah. that people hear it and, and it goes in your brain and you, you're like, okay, I have a resource for this. Well, and it I may is, not it, need it right now, but I yeah. might. 
But that's the funny thing. I've found that often when you become more aware of an issue, suddenly you start seeing it everywhere and you realize, I mean, the estimates range from like 15 to 40% of kids have some kind of chronic illness. Now that might include things like kids on the autism spectrum, which don't go into those more neurological issues. This is more for like the medical end of things, but, and yet there's tons of stuff in here that would be helpful. As a matter of fact, I I did a whole section on hiring a caretaker and I got, I was very helped by um, a pamphlet put out by the American Autism Association because the issues are the same, right? We're not telling people how to treat their children, right? That's for the medical professionals. Right. But But the effects of having some, any kind of chronic condition are very similar on on the families and their relationships. So that's why we could write a book that doesn't have to be about diabetes, for instance. It doesn't have to talk about cancer, for instance. Because Um, the principles of how you approach the problem, I put that in quotes, the situation are are the the same, right? Are the same. Yeah, and the the pressures and the stresses put on the family are very, very similar. Oh, well, congratulations on your book. I know that's a huge accomplishment. So where can every, can everyone find it on the usual book outlets? For sure. I mean, you know, as, as, as you know, we're not doing book tours these days. And nobody's getting rich being an author, unless you're selling something on the New York times bestseller list. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I I, trust me. I will not always put a pin in that because everyone's like, well, you're, you're, But I'm, I'm, I'm really, really pleased about it and um, feels great. I feel, I'm just thrilled and honored that I got to go on this journey with Frank and the wonderful people at the APA. And, oh, we had a development editor that really took our manuscript and turned it into a book (laughs) with a kind of a unified style and frame to it. So, um, yeah, I, I just feel like for a first time author, I, I just. I got the brass ring, right? I mean, yeah, I, I just lucked out. So that's awesome. Very, and I, and it's another example of you showing up and saying, I'll try that thing and it yes. working out. And so I, I love that too, because I think if we can approach life, everyday life with an open heart and open mind that who knows what's going to happen, who knows what opportunities are going to come. Yeah. It, it just, you know, you're a perfect example. Well, thank you. That's exactly the way I feel too. You open yeah. your heart and and let go and see what shows up. And you know, to John Lennon is famous for saying life is what happens when you're making other plans. Yeah. And but that's the excitement also, right? Right. We're not stuck in some robot. We're co-creating the world every day. Mm. Mm. I love it. I was about to call you Cindy. Cindy Walsh, thank you so much. Carol Potter. (laughs) Carol, thank you so much. This was wonderful. I appreciate it. Delightful. Thank you, Meredith. I just had a wonderful time. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.